Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 273. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Jack. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 273 you're listening to. My guest today is Maya Finley, who's an audio engineer, producer, songwriter, musician. We're going to talk a bit about her work over at the SF Jazz Performing Arts Center, as well as her time out on the road with Roseanne Cash. Maya Finley coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's revisit minimalism. So early on in the um, early days of the podcast, within the first year of the podcast, I was highly inspired by the Life Edited website and the minimalists who have a podcast and a, and a movie on Netflix. I'll link to all of this that I'm talking about in the show notes. You know I'll do that. The TED Talk by the guy that created Life Edited was very inspirational to me, and the minimalists podcast and film was very inspirational. And it got me to really think about all the crap that I have and get rid of a lot of stuff in the end. This whole minimalism thing really kind of took hold in my life. And, you know, it can be taken to an extreme degree and it can become a little trendy and and silly. So if you're going to do it, you know, do it in a way that, of course, makes you happy. You don't have to follow the recipe of somebody else to, you know, the nth degree, right? Back to these guys. Great inspiration, but I have found over the years that I've fallen off that minimalist track and I've accumulated a lot of extra crap since starting the podcast. And some of it has been given to me in trade and some of it has is stuff that I bought. And I looked around the room the other day and I just went, you know what? This is getting out of hand again. You gotta, you gotta pare it down. So some of you might have noticed that I've been selling some stuff on my uh, reverb.com store and I will be selling some more. I've also been packing up stuff to take over to Urban Ore, which for those of you who are here in the Bay Area with me, if you don't know about it, it's a great place that you can take stuff and you give it to them and they resell it. That's how they make their money, right? They have this like ginormous warehouse. You drive up in your car, you hand them your old, you know, stuff and they take it and they sell it or recycle it. And it's a, it's a great resource because personally, I have a thing about throwing stuff away in the garbage that I know someone else can use. I just get this great guilt. So getting rid of stuff, selling some stuff. And what's the whole point of this? Well, the whole point is because for me, when I have a studio space that just has what I need and nothing more, I really get pretty, pretty excited. I, it makes me happy. It's a curation process, right? So I've curated gear and will continue to curate gear that I really get value out of. And the stuff that I don't, that's just extra BS that is sitting in a box and has been sitting in a box for one, two, three years where I say, well, I better hang on to that, you know, random cable because you never know when you're going to need a whatever it is. And then when it comes time for me to need that cable, number one, I always, I'll forget it or I can't find it because I can't remember where it was. So it's also a process of, of organization of your gear and your stuff, you know, 
Those of you who have a lot of stuff know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't are like, oh, if only I had that problem. Believe me, you don't want that problem. So my message to you is explore the minimalist concept, whether in your personal life or with your gear in your business life, your audio business life. You know, how many pairs of shoes do you need? How many shirts? How many random shirts do you need? See if you can whittle down your own, the, the things you own in your life, in your space, and then look around at your space and think, do we really need this much space? Now, I know that's a much bigger conversation there, and I'm not, I wouldn't, you know, propose that lightly. So it's just start with the small stuff. Start with those small boxes in a drawer, if, if that stuff is even in a box. How many rubber bands do, do you need? How many old pins that barely work do you need? Start to go through step by step and figure it out to see if you can get rid of stuff and curate it down to the things that really bring value to your life and meaning and that are not just sentimental. Watch that Marie Kondo show where she says, does this spark joy, you know? I'll link to her as well. All these folks really have a great, great thing and you got to figure out if their message resonates with you and if it works, some of you may not even be at that point. But I tell you, looking around this room, I still have a ways to go. And there's a lot of stuff I'm sentimental about that <laughs> is not bringing any value to my life other than the sentiment. Maybe I should just take a picture and then get rid of it. I don't know. I don't know. It's a complicated process and I wish you luck, but uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes of things that you could check out. You could step through the process and figure out does it work for you? Obviously, I don't want to preach that you got to do this because some of you don't really need to do this. And some of you, it's just not, you're not there yet. And you may never be. And that's okay, right? It's not like this high level goal. It's just, it's working for me. So check it out. Minimalism. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I've used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. 
I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Maya Finley here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Maya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've had quite the journey, and I want to kind of start at the beginning because the beginning of your experience actually starts in June of 04, where you're an English teacher and a translator. Right. Yeah, in Brazil. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? So I, I have a bachelor's degree in Spanish and Portuguese. When I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to study abroad and become fluent in another language. I went to Spain for one semester, and then I went to Brazil for my last semester, and I ended up wanting to stay longer and started just picking up some gigs, teaching English and translating, and ended up staying for two years instead of six months, which was the original plan. And at what point did audio enter into your world? Before I went to Brazil, I sort of had an epiphany. You know, I was like racking my brain, like, what do I want to do with my life? And I sort of realized that I was spending all my time and money on going to concerts and collecting CDs at the time. And then I kind of realized I didn't necessarily have to be a performer or try to make a living as a performer, but that there was this whole world behind the scenes. And so it was kind of a conscious decision. And I took a couple classes just to experiment. And then I went to Brazil and like studied Brazilian guitar and percussion and stuff like that. But sort of in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted to get into audio production. So then I came back from Brazil and I started taking classes at City College mm-hmm. with Terry Winston and Dana Jay. And, you know, and still just like, well, maybe it's not for me, but let me just take some classes and find out. And then I started interning at Talking House. And then I met someone named PC Munoz, and he referred me to Keller Studios. And so then it just one gig led to another, and I was doing well in my classes, and I thought, you know, like, this is something that I think I could really do. Who is it that you felt mentored you the most? I've had a lot of mentors. I do feel like Terry Winston, she's given me a lot of opportunities, and she's someone I still go to sometimes for advice. And that's, she's been pretty consistent. But then also I worked with Adam Munoz at Keller Studios and I consider him like an early mentor, just a lot of like little studio tricks and stuff that I still think about that I learned from him. And, mm. and then currently I work with Masanori Yura at SF Jazz Center. I consider him a, a good mentor too. I go to him for advice about what to charge people or what to do in certain situations and what he would do. And I don't know. I feel lucky to have had like a lot of great mentors along the way. 
I'm curious, what do you think makes a good audio mentor or a good mentor in general? I mean, someone with experience, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, someone that can, that's been through it, that can help me avoid certain pitfalls and someone who's patient and open and not condescending. So you worked over at Keller Studios for a bit. And basically for the audience, Keller Studios is Mark Keller is just, he's the king of of voiceovers. You've probably heard his voice and you have no idea that you've heard it. But you worked on a lot of like major stuff like Home Depot commercials, Discovery Channel stuff, all kinds of stuff. What was that experience like for you in terms of the learning aspect of it? At the end of that run there, what did you walk away with knowledge-wise? What really sat with you from the experience? Definitely watching Mark work was really interesting, like seeing a professional voiceover actor who could really try out different takes and different inflections. And anytime I've done voiceover work since then, it's, I mean, it makes a huge difference when you have someone who is really an actor or can really like adjust what they're doing versus someone who's just kind of talking and only has one way of of saying things. And and then just like we had a manly Vox box. So just getting a nice workflow mm-hmm. or a signal flow with that signal chain. Mm-hmm. So learning some direction and also like the workflow of turning around things really quickly, you know, like recording something and then having to upload it right away. I also got to do a lot of, he wrote a lot of jingles in the 80s and stuff. So, and he had a whole library of two inch tape. So I worked on like baking the tape and then transferring it into Pro Tools. So, some archival work as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was very early on. So it's like everything was new. Everything was like learning a new thing. How did you find the financial end of the audio world at that point in time? Were you able to survive? So I worked there three days a week. And then the other time I just picked up a lot of other stuff. I did some blogging. I helped like a music teacher from City College correct some of his like music theory Mm. papers and stuff. So I had to pull some odd jobs together. And then eventually I started working at another studio called Sound Arts. Mm. And so between the two studios, that was probably enough. But eventually Keller Studios started doing more like a TV channel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the other studio, Sound Arts, closed. That's when I worked at Metallica, not doing sound for them, but working on the fan club merchandise side of things. And then eventually got into live sound, which felt like there was more consistency and a lot of work with live sound. And I just kind of loved it. So I fell into that. Kind of the bonus of being in a big city. Yeah. There's a live show happening at least every night of the week. Yeah. So always requiring a sound person to be there in most cases. From there, you, you jumped over to the women's building in the mission, mm-hmm. is that is that's the same place, this, the same women's building that's been there for years? Yeah, with the murals. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another time where I was kind of like in between jobs and I saw this opportunity come up. They were starting a digital literacy program uh-huh. and I'm interested in social justice causes and thought that I had the skill set to do that. Now I realize in hindsight, that's a whole other career that's not my career path necessarily of like working in a nonprofit and working to close the digital divide. But again, that was another sort of part-time job. Mm -hmm. And then I was doing live sound on the side until finally I got so much live sound work that I had to give something up. So I gave that up because it just didn't seem like it was fitting 
into the career path. It wasn't really audio, but it was great to practice my Spanish and feel like I was doing really important work and learned a lot about the digital divide. Well, you got a you got a few things on here that are super interesting. Critical listener at Dolby Laboratories. Tell me about yes. that. So it's not very frequent. Sometimes they have tests and there's a group of us that can go in and take these tests, which could be anything from like listening to two different pieces of audio and picking which one you like better or which one sounds more spacious or has more depth. Or sometimes it can be like you get a reference audio and then you have six different samples that have been compressed in different ways mm. and you have to try to find the hidden reference in those. You have to match. And usually it's like they give you a couple that are really easy and then you narrow it down to three and it's really hard to find the difference sometimes. You have to like just loop like two seconds. Mm. And that, that's a paid gig? It's a paid gig, but it's again, it's like sometimes just like a few hours a month or yeah. something. It's definitely not something that really sustains me. It's more just because it's interesting and to get some experience and to really hone my listening skills. And then you were doing monitors for Roseanne Cash. Yeah, I'm still doing that. I'm going out next week, actually, for a West Coast tour for a couple of weeks. How did you come across that gig and what was the, the process of getting to that? So she has played at SF Jazz a few times. Uh -huh. And so I met her. She was doing a residency with Ry Cooter. So first I did a residency, I did monitors for her residency with Lucinda Williams and Emmylou Harris. And then a year later, she came back with Ry Cooter. And I hit it off with her front of house engineer and her manager. And she was having, she had like some in-ear monitors that she was having some issues with and just was kind of unhappy with the sound. And I think I just pushed the issue of like, I think if we could get these in-ear monitors working, it would really help her. And so we figured out one of the issues was like the filter was loose. You mm. know, it was something like you wouldn't really think of, but it was just something mechanical that was going wrong. So over that weekend, we like sorted out a lot of these issues and she was really happy at the end. So almost a year later, like nine months later or something, I got a call from her manager asking if I would do this West Coast tour with her last year. Mm. And so I did it <laughs> and it was great. And then I went out with them several more times since then. And yeah, it seems to be working out, but I'm kind of more like the the West Coast person. Definitely a serious lesson to be learned there for anybody listening. I mean, you put yourself out there, you try to solve the problem, you try to bring value to the client. And lo and behold, it turns into a, a great gig. I mean, and a great resume builder too. Yeah. Because I'm sure you'd agree with me that you do that it's inevitably going to lead to more gigs because it's a small world Yeah, and people talk. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Before that, I hadn't really done much touring. And so I wasn't really sure if I would even like it. But the opportunity came up and I thought, like, I can't turn this down. And I ended up loving it. So I'm open to doing more. But I am working full time at SF Jazz. So it's hard to balance those two. They've been really nice about letting me go out with Roseanne so often. Yeah, so maybe something in the future, hopefully I can parlay that relationship into more more touring. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Sunnyvale. I was born in Toronto, Canada, but I grew up in the South Bay in Sunnyvale. And do you ever go back to Canada? Not really. My, my parents are a little estranged from their families. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I haven't been to Ontario in a long time, but my parents live near British Columbia. So or I was there last year with Roseanne. 
So I've been to Vancouver recently, but not enough. I do think about moving there because <laughs> I have citizenship. People are like, why are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> what aspects of being an audio professional do you find to be the most challenging currently? Currently, with live sound, this is like totally personal, but I feel like kind of an introvert where I... I get exhausted being around people all the time. And when you're in live sound, it's like you're constantly meeting new people and surrounded by people. And I consider it a customer service type of job. And so I'm finding that it can be kind of tiring, mm -hmm. you know, or sometimes or just not having any control over my schedule, really, like not able to have a routine because my job is determined by the event times. So, and at SF Jazz, where we have corporate rentals, sometimes you might have a call time at six in the morning. Mm. And so I find that challenging. Like for a long time, I loved it. I loved not having a routine. And then now I'm sort of like, maybe I've just gotten older or something, but I'm like, I just want a routine. <laughs> I just want to do this, you know, know when I'm going to be home or like know what time I'm going to have to go to work or be able to plan things. And also just... I feel like my social life has suffered for it because I miss birthdays and baby showers and all sorts of events that people always have on like, you know, or barbecues on Sunday or, you know, stuff. It's like, I feel like a broken record where I'm like, I'm working, you know, I'm always turning down invitations because I'm working. The good thing about that is I have weekdays off like today where I can run errands and go to appointments and stuff and it's not crowded but there's definitely like a trade-off for that. I completely understand the introvert thing. My wife is a total introvert, and I know that when <laughs> she comes home from work, it's like, just let her go and chill out and read and have a glass of wine and <laughs> let her have her, her time to, to refuel. So I completely yeah. get that. Tell me about your work at SF Jazz, at the SF Jazz Center. Tell me about the facility and tell me about how you got in there and what's your your role there, essentially? So the facility is, we have two rooms. There's a 700-seat room called Minor Auditorium and a 100-seat room called Joe Henderson Lab. We have a Meyer system, a MINA line array in the larger room that's controlled by a Galileo system. Mm. And then we have the Avid Venue consoles if we want to get into any gear, like an SC48 for monitors and a profile at front of house. And then the smaller room is also a Meyer system, but we have L acoustic monitors and uh, we have a Soundcraft SI Impact in that room. There's three full-time audio engineers and I'm one of them. And we have like Masa's our head engineer. Uh, so he usually does front of house in minor auditorium. And then me and Martine switch off whether we're like doing monitors in minor or doing front of house and monitors in the smaller room. There's also an education department and a membership. And they've definitely set it up to be more sustainable than I think a lot of venues with all these different programs and mm. seem to do a good job with fundraising and stuff like that. So it's only seven years old. It's pretty new. Yeah. But a lot of great artists that come through there. Yeah. You get to see a lot of great shows, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. 
And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. As far as diversification, do you feel like you have to offset things a bit with other gigs like you have been doing in the past? Or is this like a mainstay gig for you? It's a mainstay gig. It definitely pays my bills, especially as a full-timer, because I get holiday pay and I accrue vacation time and I get benefits. And I feel very lucky because that's so rare for that kind of a job. And I don't have to take other work, but I do. I'm always kind of like looking for the next thing. And, mm. and in terms of talking about like being an introvert and starting to feel a little exhausted by live sound. Maybe eventually I would probably move into, I love the idea of like editing, just sitting in a little cubicle by myself and like, you know, editing some stuff. But of course there's drawbacks to that where you're like staring at a computer all day. So I don't know if I'll be there forever, but for now, I think partly when I started, there was a union battle going on. And so I would say the rate they pay us per hour is better than other places. And so I've been lucky with that. That was my next question. Is it a union gig? It's not. It's in the theater district, which are all union houses. And so I guess when they first opened, the union was picketing outside and we took a union vote and we ended up voting no. So it's not. But it is a salaried gig, right? I'm paid hourly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then to keep my benefits, I have to do at least 30 hours a week. Okay. And do you get health insurance out of that? I get health insurance, yeah. Ah, oh, fantastic. That's great. Yeah. That's always a a real hard nut to crack for a lot of audio professionals is like you could piece together the income, but sometimes it's hard to figure out like how do you make the health insurance element of all of that work? So that's that's refreshing to hear. Yeah, again, I feel so lucky because that's just unheard of. I wish that it wasn't the case. I wish we had Medicare for all or single payer health care. And I wish people didn't have to worry so much about that. And maybe we won't have to. Yeah, we soon. shall we'll see. see how it goes. <laughs> Do you have any daily routines that are important to you? I try to meditate a little every day. I do feel like I have a problem with ruminating. And so that's always kind of a muscle I'm trying to strengthen of just trying to like focus and be present. But like I said, I don't really have a routine because my schedule just has been changing Mm -hmm. so much. Like every week is a totally different work schedule. And so I found it very hard to have any routine or ritual. But, you know, that and I just I play music, too. And so I'm trying to do least a half an hour a day or something. Same with writing, like I write songs. And so if I can just work on some lyrics or do any kind of writing, that's very cathartic for me. So I try to do those things. I usually can't do them at the same time every day, Mm -hmm. but those are things that I think help alleviate stress and make me feel like I'm not just slogging through life like a cog in the wheel, you know? Meditation, strangely enough, comes up so much on this show lately. In fact, one of my recent guests, Dusty Wakeman, was just talking about doing it. And former WCA guest John Greenham, who masters all of Billie Eilish's stuff, he's big into meditation. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something to this that I have to investigate. Yeah. <laughs> How do you weather slow work periods? So, well, I've been full-time at SF Jazz for about three and a half years now. So mm-hmm. that hasn't been 
an issue since I became full time because that was the relief about becoming full time. It was then I knew like I knew I was going to have 30 hours of work a week and I could just plan for that. It's been a while since I was freelance and I guess I just said yes to everything <laughs> for so long, you know? Yeah. And I started doing the math and I was like, I'm going to be working like seven days a week like this. So for a while I was working at the Independent and Elbow Room and Boom Boom Room and some of these other venues in the city. And I just did the math and realized getting paid per night was limiting. And then I started working at JCCSF and SF Jazz where they paid by the hour and paid as an employee versus independent contractor. And I feel like I was able to start making real money and like save up that way because I was getting overtime and not paying as much in taxes and stuff like that. You kind of have the almost an opposite problem. Some people have a tough time figuring out how they're going to weather the slow periods, but you are trying to figure out how to weather the busy periods because there's just a lot of work to be had, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe I've just been lucky or or like I said, I kind of am always looking for the next thing or I'm open for the next thing. So I just like put myself out there. Or, mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to not like I haven't had slow periods or that it's been easy the whole time. But yeah, I think I just when I was freelancing, it was just all about you couldn't turn anything down and just applying for jobs. I still apply for jobs just as practice. You yeah. know, like, so that, <laughs> I'm kind of a weirdo like that, I guess. And that's partly comes from my parents who are really like, you need to support yourself and have a full-time job. And they were always breathing down my neck about that. And so I've just always been trying to have been like one step ahead a little bit. What financial advice would you offer to other audio professionals as far as, do you have a philosophy of how you handle money? Are you a saver? Are you a spender? What's, what are your thoughts on that? I... Definitely try not to spend recklessly. Again, like a lot of it has come from my parents who are pretty frugal and into economics and stuff. So, I mean, I'm also when I was freelancing and I still do this now, actually, is I have an Excel spreadsheet of all my gigs because it was so easy to forget to invoice someone or forget to follow up with someone if they didn't pay you. So I had the dates on the vertical and the client on the horizontal. And I I still have a whole system about if I need to invoice someone, I like highlight it in red. And if I've invoiced them, but I'm waiting for payment, then it's highlighted in yellow. And I'm just very like attention to detail oriented. And when I first came back from Brazil and I was taking classes at City College, I worked at a CPA firm and I was became the office manager. And so some of the things I learned from there transferred over to my own finances. So I just really keep track because I know people who are like, I think I forgot to get paid for this gig. And to me, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you like right after the gig, you put it on the spreadsheet, you got to come up with whatever system works, especially as a freelancer. But like I said, I still do it now. And I cross reference the paycheck and make sure that it's right, because sometimes it's wrong. People make mistakes or whatever. And so I always double check that stuff. Yeah. Having an attention to detail regarding your invoices. That's, <laughs> that's important for sure. I like your spreadsheet idea. There's a lot of different tools out there. But at the same time, if you want a free tool, or an inexpensive tool, you know, you can, you know, use the Google version of Excel or buy Excel. Yeah. And that's actually, I have it on Google Drive so that if I'm 
have some downtime at work or something and I want, or, you know, so I could just add it in from my phone or anywhere. It doesn't have to live on a computer. Yeah. So then you just have to remember to follow up with it. Well, we're already in the discussion of it, but I wanted to ask you, are there any productivity apps or systems you use to not only keep track of your money like we're talking about, but any other things that you use to maybe keep track of schedule or anything like that? No, I'm pretty basic. I have a Google calendar and, and that spreadsheet. And I think that's it. I'm not really app heavy. I'm kind of old school about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I take city cabs. I stay in hotels. I listen to vinyl, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) which is funny because I grew up in Silicon Valley. My dad was a software engineer, but I'm really not into the tech culture. I'm very concerned about privacy and stuff. So I don't know. I just try to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The fact that you're still taking cabs and staying in hotels, (laughs) that says it all right there. Yeah. Very old school. (laughs) About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. As far as audio Do you feel that you have a passion for audio or do you consider it more of a job? I have a passion for music, I think is is what it is. I'm not really a gearhead. Mm -hmm. I don't really geek out on gear. If I'm going to buy something, then I do a lot of research and then I might be super knowledgeable about that particular topic. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, I'm not good with rote memorization. And I always liked math and science. And I've always had a facility with technology, mm-hmm. but it's really about bringing the show to life or like the moments where I really felt like, oh my God, this is what I was meant to do. Like, I just remember when I started doing live sound in particular, and it just felt like that was my calling, but it wasn't so much about, it was partly being able to combine my skills with technology and bringing this party to life or helping yeah. facilitate a night where people can let loose and have an outlet and working with musicians and being able to relate to them. And and I do think it's a strength of mine. I think I do have really good hearing. And so I feel like that's a skill that I can contribute to the world. And even when sometimes I feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to do live sound full time forever, but I still wouldn't, I probably wouldn't leave audio. There's so much, there's like sound for film or I want to get into, go back into the studio a little more. I, I definitely feel like sound is definitely my my strength. And, and you're a musician as well. What's your, what's your primary instrument? Mostly guitar, but I play some piano and sing and write songs and stuff. And do you feel that because of that, that maybe helps with being empathetic to performers and being able to identify with what they're going through and probably makes you a better 
Audio Pro because of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I really genuinely, I mean, I've played a lot of shows where I couldn't hear myself. So there's a local singer, Pamela Rose, and she's she's like, I always say you're a singer's best friend, you know, because I really <laughs> care whether they can hear themselves and the quality of that, because I know how it feels to do a show where you can't hear yourself. Yeah, I can definitely empathize. And whereas I know some engineers that they love to do the trick of where someone asks for more in the monitor and they just put their hand on the fader and like, don't move it and just pretend, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I think that's so obnoxious. I would hate that if someone did that. And it's not helpful because they just think, oh, they're not really hearing a difference. They just want to like see that you're doing, you know, they think that it doesn't matter. And it's like, well, actually, people probably just stop asking for it because they're giving up on you. Mm might not be that it's some sort of psychological trick. It could just be that now they're tired of asking for it, so they just stop. I just think it's kind of not a nice way to treat an artist, to try to like trick them into thinking that you're doing something when you're not. Well, on that note, what do you think audio pros should be doing to best serve their clients? So much of it is people skills. Just being open to hearing feedback and comments from the artists. If the artists are like, this doesn't sound right, believing them. You mm -hmm. know, I think sometimes people just sort of dismiss them. And I think it comes back to that customer service approach to it, where it's like, I'm not here for my own ego and to play with some knobs and stuff. I'm here to help this person have a great show. And I'm here to help have the audience have a great experience or help the artistic director with his vision of how it's supposed to sound and stuff like that. So it's like putting the ego aside and just being there to, to help people. And being an introvert, is there kind of a level of a mental fence you have to jump over when you enter the workplace to say, okay, now I'm not in my, my space. I have to serve these people. Is that difficult? I've always been social. So it's not like I'm an introvert where like, I hate people. It's more just like that. It's tiring. So actually, sometimes it's weird because it I mean, maybe I'm like a combo because sometimes I don't want to go to work. And then when I'm there and when I'm leaving, I actually feel a little more energized or a little different. But yeah, when I'm not there, I do have to kind of pump myself up to go in sometimes. And you never know, like sometimes bands come in and they're super easy. And sometimes people come in and they're a little challenging. And I don't know if you know the joke of what's the difference between a sound engineer and a toilet. <laughs> no. A toilet only takes shit from one asshole at a time. <laughs> and I think that's kind of true. Like, I think you take a lot of shit as a sound engineer. Yeah. It is in some ways like a thankless job. So just, yeah, going in there, not taking things personally or, yeah. I mean, there's a certain level of like, okay, I've got to go deal with a bunch of people right now and, and make yeah, it work. Yeah. Do you find that when you are dealing with not only multiple personalities, but when you're dealing with potential assholes or people that are giving yeah. you a lot of shit, do you find that killing them with kindness, using that approach and just trying to focus on the service aspect of, of being an audio pro, does that help? Do they recognize that or do they just continue to be an asshole? I think it helps. I don't know about necessarily like if, if it changed how they think about it, but I know that if there has been time where I've given some attitude back or anything, it's like it doesn't feel good and I sort of regret it. So yeah, I think killing them with kindness is always better. Because it can escalate, just that tit for tat, like taking shots at yeah. each other. and Yeah, and it's just counterproductive. So you deal with a lot of assholes and that's just what you do. <laughs> well, we're almost out of time. I wanted to ask you, are you actively trying to promote yourself as an audio professional or do you do you have a website, et cetera? I do have a website. I can't imagine there's a lot of traffic to it. I'm not, again, because I have 
the luxury of this full-time job. I don't really have to promote myself. Lately, I've been trying to just kind of like post photos on social media and I have my Twitter that goes to my website so that I, if something does come up where I want to impress someone or mm-hmm. there's a new opportunity, I have a backlog of, okay, here's all these things that I've done. Again, it's like I would like to do more studio stuff. And really what got me into this was wanting to be a producer. And I've kind of gotten away from that. I sort of was like, oh, I want to produce. But I should learn engineering first and I should get back into playing instruments and stuff. And then I got so into the engineering that I've forgotten what my initial inspiration was. That's something that I will probably be trying to promote a little bit more. But yeah, I've been very lucky that a lot of my work has come from word of mouth. I've never really gotten a job from just sending out a resume or applying for a job. It's all come from, I think you asked earlier about SF Jazz. I actually got that job because someone reached out to Terry Winston looking for engineers and she referred them to me. So all my work has come from referrals. So I've been lucky for that. And for the audience, if if you don't know who Terry Winston is, Terry has been the director of the Women's Audio Mission for many, many years and has done a fantastic job great person that I've known for years. So we'll put a link in the show notes to Women's Audio Mission. But if you want, what's the website that they could check you out at? It's myfi.com and that's my-fy.com. That'll be in the show notes and any social media accounts that you care to share? But it's also the same. It's Instagram and Twitter. Also, myfi, though one of them is underscore Maybe two of the, both of them are on. I don't know. I'm terrible with this stuff. I'm, I'm old school. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> you and your cabs. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I'm such a bad millennial. Oh, I know. You're, you're not you're not living <laughs> up to your name. I know. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you so much for making time for me and telling us about your journey. And we'll include all the links in the show notes for people to check you out on, and including your LinkedIn URL. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's fine. We'll put all that in there, audience. You can keep an eye on what Maya's doing at the SF Jazz Center. Well, thank you again. Anything that we may have missed that you want to mention? Not that I can think of. Just okay. keep on... Keep that on, everyone. (laughs) All right. Well, very cool. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LPUNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Maya Finley here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Want to thank everybody that helped out with the show. That includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme music, and Chuck Smith there, the voice. Connect with me on LinkedIn, spread the word, tell all your friends, and thanks for coming back week after week. Until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear. 
including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. 